Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Very glad you tuned into the show today. We appreciate it very much. My name is Mike Schmidt. I am one of the elders and uh, the preacher here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And as usual, Gary Jones is with me. How are you doing, Gary? Doing fine this morning or rather this afternoon, This afternoon. Mike. Well, <laughs> Gary's one of the other elders. And as you can already tell, we're, we're not going to pretend this show is not live today. So I'm not going to give you the numbers to call in. This is a recording we made a week or two ago to be played at this time because I have to be out of town. And so we made this recording, and if you hear us talk about it being the afternoon or something like that, well, that's because it is the afternoon when we're doing the recording. Right. We're not going to try to fool anybody about that. So we're not going to give you the chance to call in today, even though we're going to talk about it in a very important subject that we want you perhaps to respond to. Uh, we decided to go ahead and do this subject now. But I am going to give you some other ways to contact us should you hear something today or in general have a question you'd like to reach the show. Uh, you, you can reach to, uh, We Are Just Christians normally by calling in to WPSL. But like I said, today you can't do that. But you can also reach us by texting us. And Gary and I each have a text number that you can use anytime, whether, it's the, whether we're on the air or not to reach out to us with a question or comment. My text number is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120. And Gary's text number is very similar. It's 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220. Gary, that's the number they're supposed to use, and they say, well, your partner is really full of it, isn't he? So, and it's something like that. But anyway, uh, you can reach us that way, or you can reach us by email anytime, too, at justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. Now, normally, you could go to wpsl.com. If you can't get the radio station on an AM radio, go to wpsl.com, click the Listen Live button. Or you can go to TuneIn Radio app on your phone or the, your Alexa devices, Google Chrome, search for WPSL, and you can get a hold of us. I also want to mention, I, I know this is boring stuff to start the show, but I'm afraid I'll forget it later on. I do want to mention that we would really appreciate if you t- tell your friends about the show, if you enjoy the show. Uh, and the show, and on those other men- methods we just mentioned, the Listen Live button on WPSL.com, the TuneIn Radio app, Alexa, Google, all those can be used anywhere around the world at 9 a.m. at Eastern, Eastern Time. You can get our show on any Sunday morning. But we also have a podcast, which is recordings of this show that go back probably 10 years at wearejustchristians.com. That's the website for the church and the show, wearejustchristians.com. You can search over on the right, uh, right-hand side of the menu there, and you'll find recordings of this show and link to a podcast that you can listen to anytime, either um, downloading it or listen on the podcast app or whatever. I also want to mention, because I'll probably forget, that we do live stream our services now on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. We do live stream our services um, all around the world on Facebook, YouTube, and Zoom. So you can go to Facebook and type in We Are Just Christians uh, or Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard is probably the best address. Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard or Savona Boulevard, Church of Christ. I'm not sure which one gets you there exactly. I think they all will. Uh, or you go to YouTube, and I think it's Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. Uh, you can type that in the search engine. You'll be taken to this show, 
and you'll be able then to sign up to links. You'll get a notice when the show's on, when we're on live or our services. You can tune into our Bible study at 10 o'clock a.m. right after this show's over, or you can uh, stay, stay around for the next hour for our worship service where I'm preaching and so forth. And on Wednesday nights, Gary's teaching a class on Wednesday nights at 7.30 over uh, the live stream at YouTube, Facebook, and Zoom. So we'd invite you to take a look at that too. And uh, we'll probably have some other ways to get a hold of us if you'd like to know about that a little bit later on. Well, Jerry, Gary, Jerry, Gary, let's jump right into the show today. As I mentioned, we're not taking calls, so you and I are going to have to fill up this time ourselves. And we've, we've picked out a subject of something that kind of got pushed by the wayside in the last couple of weeks that we really didn't get a very extensive answer to because we had a few phone calls and some text messages, and so we didn't get to it. But we had a, a text message. But it's a very important a super important question. subject, and I, I, I want to pop. You know, we just didn't get to it because of other things, but we hadn't forgotten about it. But Corinne texted in two or three weeks ago, the sinner's prayer. Where did it originate? And I think that means you know, where, where and when did it originate? So I want to talk about that. We're going to talk about a little bit about the historical beginnings of this, although there might be some differences exactly what you might call the uh, beginning of it, and then, you know, what is the sinner's prayer? Is it in the Bible? And what's the Bible say about how to be saved? Does that kind of summarize the kind of things we want to talk about right, here right. Uh, in this general subject? But you'll find that this sinner's prayer, let's see, I have this somewhere uh, here. Well, for, well first what of we all, call just, the, what they call right. the sinner's prayer. What Go they ahead. call the sinner's prayer. What I would say first is you do not find a sinner's prayer in the Bible. Correct. Uh, that that that's exactly right. You don't find it in the Bible, and and that's probably my first response that we want you to um, come away with. I think Billy Grant or Bill Bright in the 1950s up through the 70s, uh, he did uh, his expression the four spiritual laws, passed out these tracts on university campuses and other churches all over the United States, maybe the world, and his book the four spiritual laws in the 50s coined the expression or the sinner's prayer. And it goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Now, that's the sinner's prayer. Now, or some form of that. Some form of that. Basically, uh, Billy Graham has one out there. Mike called steps to peace with God. There's yes, and that's I got that right here. Yeah. He 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 did that beginning in the 1940s even. Yeah. Uh, the, the four steps to peace with God and the prayer. And then he, the, the prayer yeah. came. The, the four steps of spiritual four spiritual laws came out of that. So that's some of the history. But it goes goes way back into the 1800s. I say way back in the time in the history of the church. The sinner's prayer is very very recent. You know, the late 1800s, mid, mid to late 1800s, before we have any inkling of something called a sinner's prayer. And it really wasn't called the sinner's prayer until at least the 1940s uh, and 50s. So that's very recent in spiritual time well, from the beginning the, of the church. The Billy Graham documents and the things that I've heard from Franklin Graham don't even call it a sinner's prayer. It's not even called that. Well, I know because yeah. there's been some controversy about it and some pushback on it in recent years. And so they are st- trying to still use it, 
with the concepts of it, but but get away from calling it a little bit about that. Now, now you know, Gary, I want to talk about this a little bit more later, and perhaps we will. But in, in doing and teaching people, and then debate or anything, I think you have to kind of show first before we even go any further in this why this subject should matter to any of our listeners. Why why should it make any difference about the sinner's prayer, whether what it is or, or how, how long ago it originated and all of that kind of thing. And I think it makes a difference to you and me from our study of the Bible right. because the sinner's prayer will never lead you to do what the Bible says you have to do to be saved. I don't care which formulation of the sinner's prayer that you recite. It will not take you to where you need to be to be saved according to the Bible. Now, if any of you listeners are interested in learning how to be saved according to the Bible, then you need to think about what we're saying this morning well, because wait, you're not going to get there through this denominational formulation of the sinner's prayer. Now, well, that's a hard truth. People don't like to hear that kind of thing. And perhaps, Gary, some people that are listening to us this morning, in their mind, they've been saved and they've been saved by saying the sinner's prayer or something like that in the past. And I guess the message we're trying to get across today is you need to think again about that. Because if you haven't right. done what the Bible says to be saved, I'm not, I don't care who taught it to you, how sincere you were when you did it, it's not good enough. And most of us want to do what the Bible says, don't we? Well, we want exactly. to do what the Bible says to be saved. Well, so I that's think, what this you is know, about. I think most people would 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 agree with the the premise that I would put forward is, you cannot be saved or be in a relationship with God if you have unforgiven sins. Exactly, and the question is, will saying the sinner's prayer get your sins forgiven? Yeah, that's the question. Right, and what does the Bible where what does the Bible say about when God forgives your sins? Right. Because it's not a matter of some preacher forgiving your sins or some priest forgiving your sins. It's a matter of God forgiving your sins. And, and Mike, one of the things here that I, that, that I think the danger in this prayer is that basically, according to what I see here, I'm, I'm looking at what comes up on the Billy Graham uh, document, and he says basically your response to Christ. He says, one, you admit your spiritual need that I'm a sinner. I would not disagree with that. One of the first things that a person should do to be saved is to realize that they are a sinner and need their sins forgiven. Right. He says uh, you have to repent and be willing to turn from your sins, and I don't disagree with that either. That's also in the Bible. Right. He says you have to believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. Again, I agree with that. That's also something we can show in the Bible. Well, that's but see, here's the thing. I I would dispute a little bit about that. I mean, you do have to believe that. But the belief that's talked about is belief that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Right. That that and that makes him right. that he's the Lord and Christ. You know, it isn't I, belief that he died on the cross for our sins. If he died on the cross but wasn't resurrected, it didn't make doesn't make any difference. Right. Exactly. So there is a question about what the belief is that we're talking about but, here. The statement here that he makes that that is true. Christ did die for our sins. He did. That's that's part of the gospel. What Paul calls the gospel in First Corinthians fifteen. Right. That Christ died for our sins. That's that's part of the gospel. Yes. And maybe we ought to read that passage. We'll go we there. will in just a second. Go ahead. But but basically, then on step four is where it goes off the rails. Here's what he says in step four: Receive through prayer Jesus Christ into your heart and life 
basically he says basically then by praying this prayer you do that I need your forgiveness and his version is dear Lord Jesus I know that I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness I believe that you died for my sins and I want to turn from my sins I now invite you into my heart and my life and I want to trust and follow you as Lord and Savior in Jesus name amen that's his version right now, now there's so many things to be said about this. I'm sure we're going to be all over the place. So I just ask the yeah. listeners, just write some of these scriptures down and right. think about them later on because there's so many things to say about this, so many scriptures that contradict the use, this use of this prayer exactly. that it's going to be very difficult to stay on track with this. Right. And, and basically these things are important. Uh, it's, it's, He's, it's, Billy Graham says that he you you you're saved by inviting Christ into your hearts by right. prayer. Right now, that's one objection that a whole lot of other preachers object to. Not just crazy uh, preachers from the Church of Christ like you guys think we are, but a lot of other people like John MacArthur and other people like that object to the idea of prayer saving you. Now, why would they object to that? Well, number one, they're Calvinists, so they they would have a real objection to this prayer, and that's another issue that's going on right now. But secondly, it's very difficult to go to the New Testament and find out that prayer saves you. You, you just can't do it. Uh, and so, therefore, Billy Graham's notion to teach this is a problem. Now, Gary, I, I don't, I'm probably going to, I don't know if I'm cutting you off, but go ahead. No, no, I'm go, going to go ahead, I because get. I was looking for something right. I was going to bring up. Uh, you see, historically, and that's where the original question that was asked is, you can go back into the 1800s, and you find preachers, uh, well, now, where is that here? i got it right in front of me. I'll put it aside for a second. All the way back to 1740, the mourner's seat, Eliezer Wheelock divided a technique called the mourner's seat. He would target sinners by having them sit in the front pew while pronouncing salvation is looming over your heads in the pulpit. And then he made, because of all of his preaching, he made these individuals very vulnerable to whatever else he said. He worked them up into an emotional state. Uh, And this was carried further in 1801 by a bunch of other preachers, condemned by some, that they were being emotionally manipulated into conversion. And uh, they produced a whole bunch of what some historians call unrealistic expectations upon the same having a religious experience to be saved. What they're saying is, in order to be saved, you have to have a religious experience. You have to have some kind of miraculous religious experience, usually an emotional experience, or some kind of miraculous event surrounding your salvation uh, before you can be saved. And then in 1835, uh, Charles Finney came onto the scene. He, he developed the, um, the anxious seat a whole theological system around the what he called the anxious seat, and you work people up into it. It's a psychological technique, they say, to get people manipulate their emotions into a tearful profession of faith and so forth. And this, this goes on down through time until you get to uh, Moody did this, Dwight Moody in the 1860s, early 1900s, Bill, Bill's, uh, Billy Sunday. I heard my grandfather and grandparents talk about Billy Sunday before. Uh, he was an ex-baseball player that became a preacher, and he would get people all worked up. And, uh, you know, he the people were said to have received salvation simply by publicly shaking his hand and saying that they would follow Christ. If they just gave a profession of faith in Christ publicly, 
and shook his hand, then they could be saved. Then, then the next one they mentioned, this big article on this, is Billy Graham has his altar call and then developed the four-step spirit. And then, and then after that, you have Bill Bright who developed the actual sinner's prayer that's said all over the country today. Now, now the, the debate has been, always been about whether this actually saves people, and you will, you will see this debated. And, and uh, guys like John MacArthur and a bunch of others today, more, uh, what am I trying to say, they're um, Calvinists. They're really worked up over some of this because they would, they would argue that prayer doesn't save you. I got an article here, Gary. The sinner's prayer can lead to salvation, say Southern Baptist traditionalists. Because now there's even a split in the, some of you listening out there are Southern Baptists. There's a split in the Southern Baptist denomination over the sinner's prayer. So this isn't just some crazy thing that Gary and I brought up. And that's over the difference between the Calvinists in the Southern Baptist Church. Calvinist says God saves you. You don't do anything, basically. God has to call you on his own. He calls you. You don't have to have a religious experience per se unless God does it. It's kind of a miracle. And there's all different kind of Calvinists. Well, I suppose you're the Baptists who believe that, that you receive salvation by by believing and preaching and so forth. So you've got this whole thing of people objecting in the Southern Baptist Convention to inviting Jesus into your heart. And, and the proof texts are given on the Billy Graham website. And, more stuff to say about and, and I, I'm, I'm just not even going to talk about those proof one, texts. One of them is in the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible, yeah, where Jesus right, comes right. and says, you know, I stand at the and door I and knock. knock. Right. And that, now, the reason that that's a problem, oh, well, that sounds good. You, Jesus, in, you have to invite Jesus into your heart, just what the sinner's prayer says. Well, that's not anywhere near what that says. There, Jesus is knocking on the door of the hearts of people already saved, which, of course, presents, Gary, another whole problem. Right. So many of the Calvinists who say that you're not saved by the sinner's prayer believe that once you're saved, you can never be lost. Here's Jesus inviting, asking to let him into his heart, and they're supposedly already saved people in the churches. So we, we got two, do, two false doctrines under attack if you go to Revelation. Number one, salvation by belief alone. And secondly, salvation uh, permanently without be, possibility of being lost from the other. You got two false doctrines. And, and, and he also yeah. uses Romans ten thirteen: whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and there again, you got to understand what does it mean to call upon the Lord? The Lord never anywhere says that to call upon him for salvation, you pray. It's never said in the Bible. There's no comment there. Yeah. It, it's, it's, but he does tell us in an indirect way how to call upon the name of the Lord. And I, we'll talk about that in a little bit, I'm, I'm sure. Well, I mean, here's the problem with the sinner's prayer leading to salvation. Is it, it? It's the idea that saying a pr- that number one that uh, the problem that I have is the people that preach a sinner's prayer also teach people that you're saved by faith alone, Gary. Well, if you're saved by faith alone, you can't be saved by faith and a prayer, right? Yes. If you're saved by faith alone, if I understand the meaning of the word alone, you can't be saved by faith alone and then say a prayer because that doesn't work that way. All right. Or they use the word faith only. Faith only. Well, only means something. And the people that talk about grace only. Well, if you're saved by grace only, then you can't be saved by a prayer either because prayer is in addition 
to something that's only the salvation. Yeah, but Paul, so, Paul says... This is deceptive language to me. Yeah, but Paul says in these Ephesian letters, says you're saved by grace through, through faith. faith. So, that, so there's, there can't be grace only and it can't be faith only because you're saved by grace through faith. So do people who are listening, do not be led astray by these kinds of seemingly uh, romantic and spiritual kind of pronouncements that people make that make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Take the text of your Bible and read it for yourself. You can't be saved by grace only or faith only when Paul says that you're saved by grace through faith because neither one of those is an only, is it? Right. Now, now then you go back. Here's the other problem that they have is in Romans 10, which we can, we've used many times. Well, basically, talk, that's Ephesians 2. That's Ephesians 2. two it's verses about uh, 8 Nine and ten. Yeah, and they should be familiar with that because that's right. the verses that are used to say by grace. They say by faith only, but it doesn't say that for, for, at all. Read gonna, what I'm, it says. Right. I'm going to directly quote the New King James in verse eight of Ephesians two: "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus." For good works, right, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Correct. So now, what does he mean by not of works? And we'll talk about yeah. that too. So. Well, I mean, if you, and you mentioned Romans 10, but if you just go down to verse 9 of Romans 10, he says that it, the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You see where I get the idea of belief right. there? That belief in your heart, that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, where does that say one word about prayer in that verse? Nowhere. Not anywhere in that verse. And it, it doesn't say you're saved by belief alone. There it says belief is unto righteousness, but confession with the mouth, not a, not a heartfelt action, but an actual literal confession with the mouth, which I would say, Gary, is a work that people do. Well, In the sense of if, if, if work is defined by, by many people to mean anything that a human being does except believe, well, then Paul believes in salvation by works. And I think that he does, actually. Not the kind of works that he would condemn, but the kind of works that he authorizes. In this case, confession. So it can't, you, this, and yet this verse says nothing still about a sinner's prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be found somewhere else because this verse says nothing about baptism either, which I think is essential to salvation. Right. As because matter, it's included in what you're saying, he's seeing here. Yeah, when we get not to every the, verse says everything about every other thing that's required for salvation. Right, and the point I made at the beginning that basically we cannot enter heaven with unforgiven sins. The only thing that mentions forgiveness of sins at that point is what baptism. Right. In Acts two thirty eight, Acts twenty two sixteen, and First Peter three twenty one, and we'll read those. But I want to want to go back to Billy Graham for just a second because another we've we've addressed two of his proof texts here, Mike. We've addressed uh, Revelation three twenty, and we've re addressed Romans ten thirteen. He quotes another one, and this one is just astonishing to me. He quotes John one twelve, and he right. says John one twelve says this. And but here's what John one twelve says. You got it there in front of you. Yeah. Okay. 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If anything, this verse tells me exactly the opposite, that belief alone does not save you. Because what did God give them upon belief? He gave them the right to, beco- to become a child of God. doesn't say he made them a child of God. does not say he made them a child of God. And right. in the King James, it says he gave them the power, power to, to become, become which is probably a little more accurate, I think. Right. So what well, this the word, word is, yeah, the word is dunamis, authority, power. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it but, but, but basically mm-hmm. this verse is saying God doesn't give you anything but the power to become a child of God upon acknowledgement or belief. Right. you still got to do more. You still there's have to. There's more than There's belief. more to be done. Right. And yeah. so all three of these proof texts are just not, how, how can I say it? They're not applicable to the subject that he's trying to bring up here. Now, one of the points, that, one of the articles I read uh, about uh, in the Christian Post about the, about the Southern Baptist controversy over the sinner's prayer, and the other, a couple of other articles and some other places I've looked this up, some, I was research, kind of researching this question that Corinne asked, is the idea that the origination of the sinner's prayer is based on an emotional response eliciting an emotional response in people. And that emotional response becomes evidence of salvation. Now let me tell you, the book of, the book of Acts in the Bible, in Acts chapter 8, when the Ethiopian, in the thir- verse 30 or so, 36, when the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, it says he went on his way rejoicing. So there is emotion associated with salvation. But it isn't, the, the, the emotion is not the evidence of salvation. It is not the thing that proves that salvation took place just because you have an overwhelming what you would call a religious experience or become being, being brought to tears by preaching and put on a mourner's bench, being brought to tears. That is not necessarily the Holy Spirit convicting you. And even if the Holy Spirit does convict you, he doesn't save you. Now, Gary, you, had, you, you were mentioned a little bit ago, we were talking about this, you know, kind of what, scriptures you were going to use you mentioned about the apostle paul being Saul, well we saw before he was apostle paul being converted and how he had this emotional response to seeing jesus and he believed that jesus was the messiah he was struck blind on the road to damascus right and you would think that at that point that the sinner's prayer would come out of his mouth right or that he would be or the holy spirit would be telling us or even it, what to say. If this is going to save you, what would you well, say? what Paul, does he say to him there? Well, look at what Paul did. Look at what exactly what Paul did. Paul was led into Damascus because he was blind. What did he spend the next few days doing? He spent the next few days praying, praying. it says. And was yes. he saved? No. no. That's right. He was not saved. And that's, that's Acts 22. Ananias, someone had, God told Ananias, go tell Paul. Tell Paul what? What you must do. What you must do. That's right. And he had several things to tell him what he must do. One of them was what? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash Wash away away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. So that's the other verse that they use to justify the sinner's prayer. That they They use all the scriptures to talk about calling on the name of the Lord. And they interpret that to mean, which is a perfectly biblical expression, a good one. They use that to mean, oh, see, that's the sinner's prayer. 
because that's what you're doing in the sinner's prayer. You're calling on the God's name. Well, here's the only trouble with that, Gary. You know, the Bible defines what calling on the name of the Lord, Lord is. is. If the Bible didn't give you a textual definition of what that meant, you know, you might go along with the fact that it's the sinner's prayer. But when this scripture is used, the New Testament gives you a Bible definition. Well, let's just take them in backwards order in the text, the one you just mentioned. Arise and be, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Arise. Yeah. He's already been praying. He was already sorry for his sins. He already believed that Jesus Christ was the Lord. He had called him Lord already. So he knew, you knew he had called on his name. But here's what he says. Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins. It's a participle. The process of being baptized is the, describes the washing away of sins, calling on his name. So there's two participles that follow the being baptized, the verb, calling on his name, washing away his sins. Those two things are what occur when you're baptized. So there's a biblical definition given for this. Um, and, and the other time, I, I, if you want to say something else here, Gary, you can. No. I was going to look up another verse, but while, while I'm talking, you can do that. Well, basically, if you look at the other place where that phrase occurs, it's in a quotation from Joel in Acts chapter 2. And it's the very right, last. That's where I was going. Go ahead. Yeah, it's the very last thing said, and it's basically, I don't have it in front of me. If you do, okay, go re- ahead. Read it, but, but basically, the last thing that's said is, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what happens right after that phrase? Peter preaches a sermon, and he wow. preaches a sermon to these people who need to know who Jesus is, and when he's done. In Acts 2.37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It seems like that's kind of emotional, too. It is. And and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. But they weren't saved just because they had an emotional experience. That's all my point was. Look what that motivated, though. That emotional experience motivated the question, What, men and brethren, what shall we do? Dude, not not what shall we pray, not what shall we think, not what shall we feel, but what shall we we do? do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So if you want to know in Acts chapter 2 what Joel was prophesying, according to Peter, that whoever called on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want to know what that phrase means, calling on the name of the Lord and being saved, you just have to look a little bit further down the chapter when he gets done preaching this sermon to them about their their guilt and what God did, he tells them to repent and be baptized for the, for the remission of their sins. sins. doesn't say, say a prayer like Billy Graham does, and your sins will be forgiven. He doesn't say, ask Jesus into your heart so that God can forgive your sins. That's not what it says. And, 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 basic- and I'm just, we're just calling on people to take a look at what it says. And, and don't get caught up in the dismissing of this as some kind of Roman Catholic teaching. We'll come back to that, but go ahead. Well, the other thing is they actually mistranslate this in one of, the, one of their places. They, they try to make it because your sins are forgiven. Because why? Because they've already had your sins forgiven non-scripturally. They've already decided the- that, it's forg- yes, that it's already been forgiven. So this is in error. Now, are we interpreting this right? Because I believe you cannot enter into heaven with unforgiven sins. There are many scriptures in the Bible that say that. That makes this a critical issue. That makes this a critical issue. And and the other one, this is consistent with one last uh, 
basically one last quote that I'd like to make, and that's 1 Peter 3.21. This is consistent with what this passage says. This passage says, in 1 Peter 3, I'm going to start reading about verse 20. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype or the opposite which now saves us, baptism. This says baptism saves you. I don't know how to make it any plainer. Do you, Mike? No. It, it, it also linked up there with the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of sins, other places with regeneration, the washing of regeneration. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's all through the Bible. You know, we could, we, could, we could spend all the rest of the show almost quoting different passages. Now, I want to talk in just a minute about how people could miss that so badly. If you think that's crazy that we think people miss it, we'll talk about it. Go ahead, Gary. Uh, no, I just, I just want to bring it up. This is about as clear as it gets. Baptism saves you. Now, is it the only thing that saves you? No. Are, because are, other, ta- things, are other things Other need- things are part of this process. It's the culminating act that leads to salvation, salvation. not a sinner's prayer. Stop short of that. That's why. So this issue is critical. There are a lot of people listening to the show. Man, we love uh, to have all of you listening to the show. Why don't you tell your friends and family about it, whether you agree with everything we say or not. Uh, we're, we're trying to get something across in this program week by week. That is that we need to go back to the Bible to find out what, how to be saved and what the Bible says for us to do, both as a church and as individuals. That's the only pathway forward. It's the only pathway of unity. It's the only pathway to be right with God is to go back and read His Word and try in a simple reading of His Word, not one done through traditions and synods and creed books and philosophies, but a simple reading of His Word. Understand what that means. And then make yourself accountable to do that. that. That's what this show's about. And so we're urging you to think about that today because there's a lot of people that listen to this show, Gary, I'm sure, that some of, the, some of them were raised to be Roman Catholic. We have people that call the show and say, oh, we were raised, I was raised to be a Catholic and so forth. And that's the way my, my, much of my family was, uh, some of my family was, and so I'm familiar with this. Many, many, many people, lots of people sit in this building every more every Sunday morning and listen to me preach that's their background and so they thought well I was baptized when I was a baby so I'm okay since you say we got to be baptized I was baptized when I was a baby I didn't know it but I guess I was saved so I'm okay they're they're wrong about that as we'll talk about maybe in just a moment they're you're well, folks you're, you're wrong about that and there's a, go, go ahead Gary well there is when you when you understand that there are things other than what's being said here that one must do. You have to understand that one must do something to be saved. Yeah, the babies can't do that. The babies can't do yeah, that. Yeah. Okay? Now, there is kind of a logical order to this, and, and maybe it's not presented in exactly this order. It, I probably would be if I went through Scripture and, and looked at it closely, but there are things that we need to do to be saved, and there are multiple things. There are also things that we need to believe to be saved. There are things that, you know, we have to understand to be saved. So I'm, I'm going to tell you, Mike, here, here, here's, here's an order here. I want, just think about this. I think this is logical. You have to believe about Jesus certain things. That's the first thing you have to do. If you have no belief in Jesus, if you have no faith in who he is, 
What, you can't what, be saved. You can't be saved. That, 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 to me, that's the law. And you won't know to do anything else. You right. won't care about baptism or anything else because you don't believe what right. Jesus says. So none of that matters. So, Nothing right. else matters. You know, that, that seems to me that's got to be the first right. thing. Nothing else matters. It seems to me that the second thing is um, mentioned, and, and it's mentioned in, in Billy Graham's thing, is to repent. And, and well, and that's realizing once you believe who Jesus is, you realize, well, he's the Savior, that, I'm, and I'm a sinner, he, and so I need sinner. to be saved. I need to repent of I'm my sins. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I need to turn away from those sins. Basically, that's what repent, repentance yeah, yes. is. Now, I wanted to go through these real quick, and then maybe we want to go through them one at a time. At that point in time, one of the first things that you can do that would be easy is to confess Jesus before men with the mouth. Right. That would be the logical thing that I would think would happen, Okay. And then said, Jesus says you need to do that. And Jesus says you need to do right. that. And we'll read the scriptures for that. I want to read the scriptures for that before the show's over today. Okay. And then you must be baptized. Basically, you have to be you have to repent and be baptized for your sins, for the remission of your sins. Now it now God forgives your sins at that point. But then there's something else I think that's still left. You must continue in Jesus through your life. You must walk in that path that he has set for you. Or all these things are for naught. Now, I, I, I see that as the logical order. Right. Uh, now, maybe if we talk about those, we've, there are scriptures for them. Let's, let's take them one at a time and talk about them. Okay. Well, let me go back just a little bit before we do that. Because yeah, okay. I think you're exactly right about that problem. Uh, where where so many people are sitting today. And notice, prayer is not in that list. Prayer is not in that list. Uh, not, not a specific prayer that you right. say to be saved That's is right. not on that list. And it's not found in the New Testament. That's why so many of these other denominational preachers are struggling with the same kinds of things. Now, now they won't say the same things that me and Gary are saying because of, of, the, of this problem that most of them are just reactionaries against Catholicism. That's what most Protestant denominations are. They've just built a history of traditions in reaction to Catholicism. So many of our listeners have a Catholic background, and they wonder what to do. And yet a lot of the preaching they hear, teaching they hear on the Bible, is done by Protestants. So that leaves many of them confused. And it leaves a whole lot of Catholics, probably listening this morning, who, who used to go or raise Catholic who don't do anything about religion. That's the way my father was, because they don't know what, what to do about it. Uh, they're not bad people. They just don't know what to believe or what to do. Well, the, and they, they feel like I wasn't told the truth about what the Bible says about things by the Catholic Church, and, and they're correct about that. But the rest of the population has this co- reflexive belief that since Catholicism is wrong, then we've got to go the opposite direction altogether to be right. That's yeah, well, what Martin Luther did. Well, Catholicism is wrong, but in what way? Exactly. How or what? How? Catholicism does see, teach some things that are correct, but, but, but you have to but, know what they are and what's not correct. But modern Protestant religions, which I include most denominations that we're familiar with, I don't consider myself a Protestant in that sense, are based upon a reaction that Martin Luther had to Catholicism over salvation. And so he came up with this, in various forms, the concept of salvation by faith alone, and that Scripture was the only source of truth, which I agree with that part of it. But well, he, he lived and died as a Catholic priest. He was trying to reform the Catholic Church, but he began to teach 
salvation by faith alone. And then John Calvin uh, and Zwingli and others in the 1500s began to teach this doctrine. They were simply reacting to the Catholic Church. They did not go to the Bible by itself and find the teaching that were saved by faith and alone. Mike, that is the key. That's the key. That is the key. Go to the Bible yourself and find out what and, it says. And, because and, I don't disagree with what Billy Graham says when he says, you need to admit that I'm a sinner and that I need forgiveness. You too. That's called repentance. That's, That's right. called repentance. He says, you know, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, that he died upon the cross. And that's true. That's faith or belief. Yes, that's we believe faith in that. Or belief. We believe in that too. So he can't go the next step and say the Bible also says you need to be right. baptized to be saved, even though he can read it, because right. that would contradict this historical reaction to Catholicism called the Protestant Reformation, and he would get booted out of the Baptist Church and booted out of whatever other religions you're in if you do something like that. He, he has four things, two groups of four. The first three I would generally agree with, and we can find scriptural. But on the fourth one of each of these two groups, he goes off the rails. He goes away from scripture. Well, he, ha- he has to to stay consistent mm-hmm. with Protestant tradition. That's why we talk about tradition on this right. show. Now, the, the problem is you're going to say, well, who in the world are you to contradict a brilliant man like Martin Luther or John Calvin? You know, you know, you you can't carry their lunch water for the lunch pail for them is a thinker. Well, maybe not, but, but, but I, can't I can't read the Bible. Well, I can read the Bible, so and, and I know they could read it in seven languages. But if they're only going to base their conclusions on a reaction to Catholicism and making all these only statements like faith only and grace only, and then Martin, what Calvin did was even worse. Yep. Calvin started with one systematic thought about free will and, and, and man's depravity, and he went to a whole system that makes Christ only die for the elect and God giving you salvation, and you don't, you don't have to do anything for it, and then once you get it, you can never lose it. He went to a whole systematic approach because it's a philosophy off the deep end. Now, this is where a whole lot of our listeners are here. They don't know anything about all that, very little about it, but that's why they've, they've come away believing sincerely trying to do the right thing, I believe, that they were saved when they said a sinner's prayer. But this is the why. Or they were saved because, without being baptized because they're just trying to do the right thing and they've been told this and is the right thing by that. people like that. And that's why you and I, and I think we do it every Sunday, we come back and say you have to turn back to the Scripture. That's why, this, that's, why that's the premise of this show. That's the premise of and, this show. And we Remember? try to get you to look into the Scripture so you can see that for yourself because many of you have been misled in a well-meaning and well-intentioned way, perhaps. I'm not even talking about the people that taught you this were misleading you on purpose, but it's based on historical inaccuracies and the inaccuracies of people in the past who were reacting to abuses by the Catholic Church or by Martin Luther or by somebody else, and people just parrot these things. And, and, they and, just parrot these ideas over and over. Right, and what script what scripture actually says and what they're saying are two different things. Now the Bible does use the words faith only. But what oh, does yeah, it, it does. say? James what is it in James yeah, 2? It says we're it not says, saved by faith we're only. We're not saved by faith only. What happens to a lot of people is, since they haven't read it for themselves in the Bible, they'll pick up a tract like Bill Bright's Four Spiritual Laws or something Billy Graham Billy Graham Ministries put out years ago, and they read that and they look up those verses that are included in those tracts. 
And it sounds reasonable. And, and, and if you only look up those verses, verses, of course it sounds reasonable. But they're not reading because those tracts do not put in the scriptures that Gary and I are pointing out to you from Acts twenty two sixteen other places. Or they simply explain it away and don't really get to the heart of the matter. And so you have this whole big problem of, uh, let me see if I can find this other article here. Um, well, this is what uh, David Platt, head of the Southern Baptist Convention International's Mission Board, said recently. This is hard to believe. Based on what the New Testament te- now this is a Baptist, a well-known Baptist. Based on what the New Testament teaches, I want to say tonight as clearly and in some senses as bluntly as possible. If you are a follower of Christ and you have not been baptized, you are living contrary to the New Testament. Now, what what he meant by that was you just haven't done all that Christ wants you to do. You've been saved, but you haven't really been saved because you haven't really pleased God because you've been baptized. He could go the next step and just simply say, you haven't been saved, but he won't ever do that. But he recognizes in that quote, what he's recognizing, Gary, is this elephant in the room that the New Testament plainly teaches in the words of Jesus Christ himself, he that believeth and is baptized shall, shall be saved. saved. That's Mark that's 16, Mark 16, 16. Now, let's, let's, let's go back. That's to what where, Jesus, yeah. and so that's the elephant in the room for these fellows. Now, okay? let's go back. Because we're going to run out of time here. In just Got about another. 15 minutes, 14 yeah. minutes. Go Let's ahead, go Gary. back. I want to go back to just exactly what what does one have to know and do to be saved. And I don't think... You want to go through this process. Yeah, I want to go okay, through this great. process, and that. I want to read the Scriptures this time. And basically... The ones that you're not going to get in Bill Bright's tract or Billy Graham's tract. Right. You're going to read all of them, right? Right. Okay. Yes. We're going to read all of them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to leave out the one in Billy Graham's tract because I've already read those. Basically, here are some things that I get from the Scriptures, and, and there may be some more, that we need to believe about, about Jesus. One is, Jesus is the Son of God. Two, Jesus was risen from the dead. Three, Jesus spoke words by which we must be saved. And four, we must obey these words to be saved. You have to believe that. Now, I think that most of the preachers out there, whatever they are, would agree with those. I wouldn't have to go to Scripture to show you that, and I'm not. I think most people would agree with most that. Most Protestants would believe, and maybe most, Catholics most. too. Catholics would say salvation occurs through interaction yeah. with the priests of the church, you know, that the grace. But that's another subject. That's another subject. I think that I'm not going to go to all those passages, though we could, and we might do that in another show. But to be able to get to the others... That where we really depart from them, I think they would agree with this in general, Mike. I might be wrong. Uh huh. So second, now we know what to believe about Jesus. Now, what was the second thing we we mentioned? Repent and change and change your life. Okay, let's go to some scriptures. Let's go to Luke two thirteen three and Luke thirteen five. And Jesus is talking to some Jews, and he says, "I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." He says the same thing in Luke thirteen five. Now, Mike, that's pretty plain to me. I don't know how to take that any other way. Right. But there's there's more. Okay. It's not just this. There's more. In uh, Acts in chapter two, 
In Acts chapter, no, Acts chapter 17, pardon me, bite my tongue. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now that's about as plain as it gets. Of course, this doesn't, you're not going to make the point, but you should. If you just read that verse to people, you would say that you're saved by repentance only. Wouldn't you? Right. Because he just says, all men ever were to repent because he's going to judge the world by that. But then he doesn't say. I'm he doesn't going, say repentance only, though, does he? No, he no. doesn't say repentance only. No and he doesn't that. say that I've saved you at that point no. either. But that's how it could be. T- that's the same way you would apply the other scriptures if you're going to apply them. You say, I mean, apply this one the Except same way. Except that I've got another one that says this is where God forgives my sins. Right. You know, basically that. You know, I can't. This one doesn't say right now, I've forgiven your sins. It doesn't say, imply that or anything. It just says, you have a command to repent. That is a requirement or a condition of salvation. That's what I would say about that. Now, what is repentance, Mike? What do we say is repentance? Strong's exorcist concordance says to think differently or afterwards. Literally, it means in Greek and in the Latin, repentare, it means to turn the mind, to change the mind to another direction. Yeah. Metanoia is to change the mind from thinking one thing to thinking something else. Right. To change your thought. And Fine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words says, in part, this is just the the main definition, to change one's mind or purpose. Basically, that's what Vine says. Always in the New Testament involving a change for the better and amendment to your practices. Right. So that's repentance. How how, how much further do we need to go? I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. To show you that repentance is part of this plan. To show you that repentance. Now, if repentance is here, faith faith only doesn't. Now, if if you're commanded to repent and... Jesus says, if you don't repent, you're, you're lost. What, what was it, Luke 13, it said? Unless right. you repent. Now, here's how, here's how I would lead someone down this pathway, Gary, if they, I was having a private conversation. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Well, but here's how I would do that. They would say, well, you're saved by faith only. And that's just meaning belief. And i say, you mean you don't think that repentance and that a baptism has a part of that? Well, no, it's just belief. Baptism is not a part of belief. i say, okay, well, what about repentance? Well, yeah, if you believe in Christ, you'll repent. Well, I thought you just told me there was belief only. Now you're saying it takes that a part. If, if repentance, I'm shortening this up. If repentance can be a part of belief, which I think it is, because if you believe the Lord, you'll repent of your sins. Why isn't baptism a part of that same process of belief where you're buried with Christ since you believe that he's the Lord and you believe in his death to save you, you're baptized in imitation of his death. Why is that so hard to believe? It only is hard to believe if you've been told that repentance is a work that the Catholic Church put on us because they believe in infant baptism. It's only hard to believe if you do not look at what the Scriptures say but go on the basis of the reactions of Martin Luther and others. Go ahead. Uh, Well, I would say 
basically I'm telling you repentance is a condition of salvation. It is. Simply because of what Jesus said in Luke 13, 3 and it's, 5. It's just I plain. said you know unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, you're not going to be saved unless you do this. And doesn't you, he doesn't say it's belief. He said here it's repentance. It, it, it's repentance. If you want to separate all these things out. Right, right. But then let's talk about confession. I think that's the next logical step. Confess Jesus before men. What, what is, is that, that a work? That's what, I, that? that's, what, that's what I like to ask people first. It, do you think confession with the mouth is a work? Well, let's. What, I mean, that's something you have to think about. If it is, then according to according to most Baptists and others, it's it's to be rejected because we're not saved by works. Is well, is repentance? I mean, is confession a work that you do? Well, let's think about that. Go ahead. Well, basically, this is one of the few things that Jesus tells us, in which He gives both the positive and the negative side of it. In Matthew ten verses thirty two and thirty three, He says, "Wherefore, conf- therefore, whoever confesses Me before men." Him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny, also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You have both the positive and the negative. That's, this, is, this is rare in Scripture. Right. So basically that's it's a pretty comprehensive statement. And it's pretty comprehensive. So then I would step down to... Now some would say confession there is more than just that one-time confession at the point of... Salvation, right. and I agree with and that I probably, think but it's part probably. of it. But Paul says, and, and we've already read the Romans ten passage: confess with your mouth. That's it, when you're going to be saved. Confess with your right. mouth and believe, and you will be saved. Now, there's a point about that word "will" here that I looked up. That's that that in the Greek has a future look to it. Mm-hmm. It's not right now; it's in the future, and we can see as we go through these things that some of these other conditions are going to be going right along. All these conditions go together to meet God's requirements. Right. And so, I, I don't well, there, know. Like, there's a crude example. Well, there, there's a process, for example, to, to a closing a deal on a house, closing a final contract, yeah. which, of course, salvation is a kind of a covenant or a contract. And there's a there are phases of this, and then there's the culmination of the whole thing, without which all the other phases mean nothing. But if you haven't done the other things that go before that in order, then you don't get to the closing. You don't get to the end piece. Right. And that's the way this is presented in the Bible. And, and, and this is the logical order, but it's not necessarily presented in this order in Scripture. In every case. Cause, in every because case. Because the, the reason is because the people involved in each individual example were at different stages of this process. Right. Go ahead. Because we talk, you know, we talk about Cornelius. Basically, Cornelius, uh, when he was approached by Peter, he basically he sent to Joppa. He was told by an angel, right. "Send to Joppa, get Peter, uh, who, and he will tell you what you must do." And Peter goes in and basically recounting that, he says, "This guy sent to us, brought the by, told by the angel, and we came." And he was told that we would tell him words by which he and his household would be saved. Words by which he may be saved. Words. I thought I didn't know words could save you. (laughs) 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 Only if you obey them. Right. Right. So these things. But he was, Cornelius was already a believer in Jehovah. Oh, yes. That's the first thing. he was already praying to, He was not not only a believer in Jehovah. uh, (laughs) It was his prayer that God. Peter says he knew all about Jesus, too. And he was praying. When the angel right. came. So his prayer didn't save him, did he? His prayer didn't yeah. save him. He, he had to go do something else. Yeah. And he already knew about Jesus, which is an interesting thing. 
So we've only got five minutes. I want to go to the last one. We want, we want to know, we want to talk about, okay, what is the point at which we, God forgives our sins, and that is baptism. And this is what you've got to say. Jesus told his disciples, go forth to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, not just these, okay? And we've quoted Acts 2.38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's the point at which your sins are forgiven. In Acts 22, we've already talked about that, Mike. Paul was told, now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. I want to say one thing about that. In Acts 2.38, he told them to repent and be baptized. And it says a little bit later in that class, that chapter, because he told them other words it says. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Right. Now that tells me that some of the people didn't receive his words about being baptized, but those who did receive his word were were baptized, baptized, and they were the ones who were saved. So... You can't dismiss this as something that happens kind of tangentially to being saved. That's the point. The point made in Acts 2.41 is that only the ones who received his word were baptized. And if you have not received this word, then you have, you know, you've not been baptized. That's a problem. Go ahead. Okay. And, and, and exactly what did, uh, what did we say about John 3 and uh, John 1 and 12? Gave you the right to be He gave you the right. That's how he gave you the power. And he talks about those who received him. Let's, right. let, let's, let's look at that. For God loved, uh, I've lost it. Mike, help me. Which one? Uh, John one twelve. Here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm as sorry. many yeah. as received him, yeah. to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Basically, this is, they had to receive his word, believe it, do the things that he said, and then God forgives your sins. And the final one of those that I wanted to look at was First Peter 3.21, which we've quoted. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. That is the point at which God forgives your sins. Now, right. I, I really don't want to leave it there, but we're out of time. We need to lead, continue to lead a life in Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe I don't know, Mike, maybe we cover that in another show. We can't. We need to do that. That's right. We haven't got all of it, but I, I want to thank uh, Corinne for sending in this great question about the Prince Center's prayer. And we didn't do this show today uh, when it's a recording to prohibit you from calling in. We know that m- this affects many people. Many of you may disagree strongly with what we said. All we can ask you to do is... And some of you are sitting out there <coughs> shouting at, at the radio. Look or at the, those. And that's, that's why we understand that, that it's, it's controversial. But that doesn't bother us that it's not taught by a lot of different people. That doesn't bother us. On the other hand, we recognize that we don't know everything either. But we would invite you to either to text us this week, the numbers I gave earlier, or, call, or, or email us, or call in again next week at the regular number, at the regular time of, of uh, 9 o'clock, on Sunday morning, and we'll begin to talk with you about this or any other question. But we beg you to think about these things. Read the Bible for yourself and stop listening to the traditions of men in order to know how to be saved. Thanks for listening. We do want to invite you to our worship services. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. It's corner of California, Savona, on the southwest side behind the little shopping center. We meet at 10 o'clock this morning for Bible study for all ages, 11 o'clock for our worship with preaching and communion, and then 7.30 on Wednesday night we meet again. So we'd invite you to come and be with us. 
at any of those time and follow us on the live stream whenever you have a chance. And we'd love to have you in, yes. in those times. You're not going to be asked for money here or embarrassed. You're just going to find people that are trying to follow God's will, people like yourself. And we have a real mixed group. We're very thankful for that. So until next week, may God bless you and hope you'll tune in again then.